Hey everybody, happy, I think we'll post this on Friday. Happy Friday everyone, Tyson Alger here. Welcome back to the i5 Corridor podcast. Uh, big football game coming up on Saturday, but this week is also the start of the NBA season, so I figured it'd be a fun time to check back in with friend of the show, Andrew Greif of the LA Times. Cue applause. <sighs> Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. How, how are you doing? Um, it's a good week. It's the start of the season. So it's that time when I think a beat writer can appreciate this when like you file your big season preview story and you sort of feel like, okay, now the games begin, I get to actually like, you know, see stuff that matters. It's a good, it's a good time when that is sort of that preseason part as instructive as it is, is sort of behind you. I'm season preview ran today in the paper. Um, you know, now we get to watch some real basketball. Well, and, and, and I feel like with those things too, like there's like such, it, it's always funny when either there's like a big game, like for Oregon this year, it was, um, uh, the Georgia game and it's like eight months of lead up to this thing. And then it happened, you know, we wrote dozens of stories about that game and then it just happens. And then all of a sudden you're in Eastern Washington week. And then it's just like, you got to get back to the rhythms of it. And, I imagine with like the NBA where it's, it's so star driven, um, you know, and you're talking about like legacies or in the Clippers instance, like will it work with Kawhi and, and, and Paul George? And like, that's just like this thing that hangs in the off season. Uh, I imagine it's just nice to just dive, dive right into the, the minutiae of the season now. Yeah. And also I, I still am, you reminded me of something when you said that, like I'm definitely still recovering uh, kind of football schedule reporter in terms of like college football because I'm used to that schedule because it's so weird how they started Clippers started training camp on a Tuesday in Las Vegas and by Friday they were in Seattle playing a game <laughs> right. it was like three days later you know and like two days later after that they played another game and so you know I'm just used to what three and a half weeks of fall camp practices where you get almost at least at Oregon there were never any public scrimmages um, you, everything was just a tiny little, uh, you know, what, what can I see a glimpse of today? Um, so it's so odd how it happens so quickly in the NBA. And then once you start the season, it's not Eastern Washington week. It's like, you know, the Clippers are play Thursday night. They play Sacramento Saturday, Phoenix at home on Sunday. Then they're back on Tuesday. You know, it's just the, it just comes so fast. Do you have to... Like in like the, let's say like the month before the season, is that like absolute best behavior husband duty? Like, are you, are you, are you making dinner every night? Are you taking the kids out? Does Jess get to go on vacation or something? Cause, uh, th- those, those road trips, those road trips come quick. <laughs> That's a whole it's different really, beast than the college football schedule, man. It is. It's really all off season that I, uh, that I try to be on, um, you know, what can I do? Uh, make a honeydew list for me. Best behavior. <laughs> yeah. I, uh. I, I'm I'm quite quite happy with the uh, the cadence of the college football schedule. That, that it was something like earlier in my career, I was like, I want to cover, and I, I really wanted to be like an MLB writer. And then I realized that that's 162 games, um, and I quite like my summers. So, uh, you know, that's I'll, I'll stick to my 12 games a year. Uh, we are going to talk more about the NBA season here in a little bit, but first, I wanted to talk about this game coming up. It's Number 10, Oregon. Number 9, UCLA. It's Chip Kelly coming back to Oregon for the second time, but really the first time with anything really like writing on it. Um, you and I were more of like the Helfrich era. I know you were in school at least when Ch- when Chip was there. Um, does anyone in LA care about this 
game, this team, Chip, does anyone know? Like, if Chip were to go walk down Manhattan Beach with an acai bowl and the visor on, like, does anybody mm-hmm. stop him? Oh, yeah. I think this year, for sure. Um, I think, you know, I, I've not seen a Bruins game at the Rose Bowl um, in my four years of living here. So I'm, I'm definitely, I live pretty far away from Westwood or not the target audience really for like peak UCLA fan probably, but I just feel like between their start and USC's start, there's a real college football atmosphere down here that doesn't always show up. Um, you know, the, the West coast usually gets dragged for not for being sort of the, the place where it, it doesn't mean as much as it does in an SEC. But I think down here, it's been pretty fun. Just like from a very casual point of view of seeing, more people kind of talk about them a little more. Like I, I listen to sports talk a fair amount and it, it comes up a lot. And I just feel like you would never have heard, you know, UCLA talk in uh, October in the last few years, if, unless it was, what are they doing with chip? How much is this buyout? So it is, it is definitely um, on people's radar more than I think it was before. Cause I really think that LA, the thing I've found the most is that it's, in some combination down here, it's Lakers or Dodgers are one and two. What I don't know what the combination is. It's probably depends, but they're they're the clear number one and two in terms of like biggest fan representation and passion for. And then I've always kind of felt like the last few years um, that that three is sort of up in the air. Like uh, I, I think maybe USC football probably has the best case for that, but it feels like sort of like whoever's winning. Um, and grabbing the attention can really slide into that number three, maybe number four spot. Um, Cause even when USC football is, is bad as we've seen the last few years, it's still extremely popular. Um, so I, I think that that's why right now with, you know, the Lakers already Owen one and like there's so much drama, like people I think are really interested in sort of like how far can this kind of this little uh, joy ride go for UCLA and USC. It, it, it's just like such an interesting juxtaposition though, from like where you, grew up though because like can you can you imagine if like or this time of year if Oregon was what they are and let's say Oregon State was 7-0 and on top of that too and they were both top 10 teams and so on and so forth it's it's a little bit different in terms of like what makes news up here versus what can run the and granted you guys had playoffs or MLB playoffs which unfortunately didn't last super long for the Dodgers this year or you know the fact that the NFL is going like there's there's so many different things going on down there it, it just the fact that uh the fact that they are receiving some interest uh you know good for the Big Ten you know it has certainly cut through the noise and I think USC cut through it immediately because Lincoln Riley but I think I would say end of September is when it started you started to feel a change of okay UCLA might be good um you know it's not just they beat South Alabama and these other these kind of this weak weak non-conference schedule so well, that's i felt a turn since then even people in the nba who i know like college football and who talk about it with me like they you know we talk about ucla quite a bit because uh, right. with the chip connection it, it's that's fascinating to me especially going back to what you just said about like you know the whatever team is winning is kind of like the next team that la is cheering for but it seems that a lot more people either either maybe they expect or they want it to be usc just because um, you know, like I've been, I've been reading like Plashke's columns every week and like from like very first game this year, like he's been, he's been all on the, the USC bandwagon. It was, you know, Caleb Williams is going to win the Heisman. It's, they might already be the number one team in the country. And, um, and it's just like, I think UCLA is the better team, like, to be honest, like it's, it, it's just seems like that USC still has a little bit more of that, at least recent star power and cachet that it's been, 
at this point, decades that, that UCLA has had. Yeah. I think UCLA is an interesting case too in this market because, you know, it's, it's, it's so much influenced by entertainment value and like a real, there's like a real showmanship to winning down here. You look at the, what the Rams did last year. It's like they went all in on just pure, unadulterated, uncut star power and they won a Super Bowl and it was, you know, it was huge. Uh, I think you're seeing that with Herbert, obviously like people were just like, Oh man, that's, that's a star. And like, he can do things. He can just, you go there to watch things happen that you've never seen done before. And Chip is such an anti spotlight seeking personality type that I think, I think that his fit down here is, I mean, that's why people talk about when he took the job because he could sort of disappear in this market to a certain extent that he couldn't in a college town. Um, But it's so interesting to see, um, you know, him sort of regain that spotlight when it's not something that clearly comes natural to him. And I remember, I remember covering a college game day. It feels full circle. Now I covered a college game day on Halloween. I want to say, 2009 uh, came to Oregon is USC um, Oregon obliterated USC that game. I think Jeremiah Masoli had an, uh, just an amazing game. And I remember staking out in like the reporter pen, at college game and seeing chip come up for like the talk with Corso and Herb street and Fowler and, um, and to sort of to see him come back now as the opposing coach. It's just, it's just a, a kind of an interesting 13 year later memory. Yeah. It's, it's pretty nuts too, because like I, I'm, I'm just finished up a piece that I'll be posting at some point on Thursday. Um, I talked to Mike Bellotti this week, and just one, it's crazy to think that like he coached at Oregon for 14 years, and in the 14 years since that he's been gone, I think they're on their fifth coach now. So just kind of, and and I talked to him a little bit about like twice UCLA offered him jobs. Like one of them was in 1995, so right after like his first year, which boy, that's quite the fork in the road like situation. But then also like they, they came after him in 2007 too, after like the Dennis Dixon year. And that one would have been freaking fascinating. Uh, just what would have happened in that case. Cause I imagine at that point, Oregon promotes chip. So you, you would have had kind of like, I, I, I was saying that like today, Saturday's game has the most intrigue or is probably the most intriguing game since that potential one, if that one would ever would have happened, if, if Bilotti ever came back with a different team in, in Eugene. And think about this what if. If Bilotti took that job in 2007, where would the long-tenured assistant coaches that Oregon was famous right. for, where would they have gone? Where would they have, if, Assuming they would have had options to stay or go, what would they have chosen? Because that was such a backbone of, of Chip's early success was like, you know, he was – he just jumped into a car that had, you know, a working, this is a terrible analogy. He, he walked into a situation where he had so many long tenured staff and he trusted them. Um, he really didn't add a whole lot of new coaches that, to that um, operation from what I remember. Uh, and so I, I just wasn't curious, like what have the Aliotis of the world and Steve Greatwoods and Don Pelham's, would they have gone to Westwood in 2008 or would they have stayed in Oregon and said, no, this is where I'm kind of home is. It's a, that's a fork in the road moment too. Does does it ever surprise you? I was just thinking about like the the concept of like the assistants leaving, and does it surprise you that, I mean, ultimately the Ducks had some down like fifth probably sixteen seventeen were considered down years, but does it surprise you considering the five coaches that they've been through that overall Oregon has still been like a pretty successful program for, like post chip in, in a way like it just it doesn't really seem like there's anything that like ties 
this organ to the middle organ to that organ. Like there's, it's just weird that they've continued to have success other other than maybe just pumping money into it, I guess. Yeah, it's a good point. It reminds me of, um, to your point about sort of this era being detached from its forerunners. It reminds me of that clip I saw of Mario Cristobal from a couple of weeks ago where he was asked about win the day. And, and he was like, I have never said win the day ever. Like even, That's not something, clearly it was like, I think maybe there was some wrong association. I missed that clip. <laughs> so it's like, clearly we're, we're a couple steps removed from the, the bloody tree. Um, so yeah, it's no, I think, I mean, look, I'm trying to think of teams that have, you know, obviously gone away from a certain coaching tree and still had success. But um, I, I think that with the money they put in and the branding, the marketing, um, that it would, it probably would, would have been wrong to think they would fall off for right. long stretches of time. Well, well, and, and, and that's kind of part of what Bilotti was saying, and, and I wrote about a little bit too, is like he's the he's the last Oregon coach that was actually here long enough to like worry about like what was going to happen like after he left. Like, you know, Chip left on good terms, but I don't really think he really gave a shit about like what was going to happen at Oregon the next year. You know, I, I think Chip's kind of a very odd duck in a way. Like he doesn't seem like super, super sentimental. Like it's, I, I think Bilotti, like, whether it be the the Nike connection that like he helped uh, instill there with like Phil Knight or or the facility upgrades or like this or that like I, I think you can point to like so much stuff from like that era that probably helped keep the ship going a decade later when when you know they were so unstable at the leadership spot. Yeah, you could make the case for a coach on his way out thinking about Oregon's future is Mark Helfrich. Uh, yeah. If you remember when he. When he was fired, he did the radio interview with Ryan Rossillo, who was at ESPN at the time. And he, he said in that interview that he had called Chip um, and sort of seeing the writing on the wall. If I remember this right, he said it was you know roughly when things were starting to go south. So mid-season, I would, I would pause it. And he said that he called Chip and was sort of like, hey, like this, you know, this might happen. Like, do you have – I think he was trying to look out for right. the best interest of the program. Like, would you have any interest in coming back? Um, that's something that I that, thought that's, about. That's such a, that's such a sliding doors moment because if that happened, if, if that happened, you know, I wonder how much of that staff is still together here. Like today, like, you know, great wood retired, Gary Campbell retired, John Neal retired. Um, I think, I think Pelham's still with chip down in UCLA, but he just retired this last year. Oh, oh Pelham. This retired. is his first season at a, co- at a coaching, but to your point though, he's been around for a long time after yeah. that staff was disbanded. So it is exciting, I think, for Oregon to um, sort of have a game day atmosphere again and have a good um, a kind of a real landmark home game because they're although they've been good to your point about them not falling off despite the coaching changes and the culture changes. Um, you know, I, it feels like there were a lot of home games in our time covering the team that had a lot of juice to them, like a lot of, you yeah. know, parachuting in national reporters sports illustrated covers coming off of it. And I felt like that element had been missing to a degree. There was certainly a competent program the last few years, of course, but there, it felt like there weren't a whole lot of, um, maybe it's just a scheduling, just opportunities for like a real big statement home game to have yeah. this sort of carnival atmosphere. So this I, feels I, like a return to that, to that era. Yeah. I, I think it's a lot of things coming together. I mean, like one, the fact that I, like, I, I just love the fact that like, this isn't like USC or Washington or Stanford. Like it's, it's something kind of new and it's great for like this new era with Lanning too, is like, 
Although, like, I remember in 2014, like, that was a pretty big UCLA game because it was coming off of the uh, the Arizona loss that, that Oregon had. And it was – remember, that was uh, when when Jake Fisher became the most important offensive lineman in program history, I think, because he yes. returned and all of a sudden Marcus stayed upright. Um, but, yeah, so I, like, I, I just love that it's, like, a new opponent. Um, I forget exactly where I was going with this, but – I, I just think that this will have a buzz to it that we haven't quite seen in, in some time. I mean, even they, they talk about the last time game day was here. That was that Stanford game in Mario's first year. And, like, why was game day at that game? Like, I know Stanford was decent, but, like, that – like, other other than C.J. Verdell fumbling that ball in the fourth quarter, like, I don't think that was a memorable game by, by any stretch of the imagination. Like, you definitely have to go back to, like, 2014 in Michigan State, and, like, there was just – I mean, there was an energy on the freeway driving down to that game. Like, it's, it's, it's just different when, when those type of things come around. Yeah. I'm so curious because I'm not in the state. Uh, and because our jobs revolved around getting to know coaches um, fairly well at the time when we were covering Oregon. I want to cover Oregon with you. Um, I'm so curious, like, how, you know, what's, what's Lanning been like this last, you know, six weeks when, when the games have started and obviously a rocky start? and sort of has to prove it to people that he knows what he's doing. Like just sort of, is, is he a guy who goes out of his way to endear himself to the fan base? Um, I, I don't know. What's, what's the, what's his, what's his role like with kind of accepting this job? He, he's, he seems endearing to the fan base and like he, like he's pretty active on social media and it's in a way that isn't like robotic, like, like Mario. I mean, like Mario would tweet like happy birthday to players and this or that, but like, you know, landing shares like snippets of his life or like, there's, there's so much of like during the bye week last week, they had like a big team barbecue, I think inside of Autzen and it's like squirt guns and water balloons and like, you know, like that, that whole thing. Like, like they're, they're definitely, um, like he, he's definitely not afraid to like show like that side of him, which I feel like with Mario, it was always just like, a like the executive type and you can't even like see him crack a smile. Um, but in terms of like, actually like with media and stuff, and, and I can't speak to this as well as, as you know, some of the beat reporters who were there every single day, but like, he's funny, man. Like he doesn't give people anything like, like uh, Shane was down at a, I was going to go to availability yesterday and it was, it was just really bad weather and fog. And I'm actually glad I didn't drive down. Um, cause there was a massive accident on, on, uh, uh, like just north of Eugene, but Shane texted me and he was just like, man, you didn't miss anything. Cause like, like this was like an all time landing performance. Cause like he, he is full on like sec robot, like not going to like, you know, you could ask him like how the weather is and he'd just be like, we're on to next week. Like, like that, that sort of thing. And like, so like, like that in itself is pretty darn dry. And like, we don't talk to the assistant coaches a lot and this and that, but like he lets us do our job. Like, it, like, you know, there's not, yeah, I mean, like, I, I think I think it's about like as it's a nice middle ground for what it could be in, in 2022, because, you know, because, you know, like these guys coming from like, you know, SEC styles, like if they if they had the option, they'd probably go like full, like no cameras, no quotes, no nothing. But I, I think especially with the fact that he's like 35 and they're like trying to play off the fact that like we're we're young and that works for recruiting. Like, I, I think there's a balance there. I have a random question for you, Tyson, because this is such a big game this weekend for UCLA and Oregon. And it's obvious one on the schedule. Everyone's looking forward to it. All the cameras there. I'm curious. What is your, off the top of your head, one of your sneaky all-time best Oregon games you've covered? Not necessarily the big Ooh, ones, okay. but like, you know, a game that was not 
all over the national radar, but ended up becoming one that sort of stuck in your memory. I mean, whenever we do this, we usually end up bringing, or we usually end up bringing up that Arizona State double overtime game, triple over, or double overtime game down in down in Tempe when uh, Johnny Munt and uh, uh, Dwayne Stanford collided with each other in the end zone, and uh, and Braylon Addison's shoe size all of a sudden became extremely relevant. Yeah, that getting that toe in the last inch of the end zone. Also, like I missed like the first three quarters of that game because I was writing a, a. I think Altman was getting sued or something like that. <laughs> and, 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 and Turned so, out you only like, missed half the and, game. Yeah, and so like ours, like I don't know. I didn't think that was like break. Like had to get up that night news, and so you know we had spent the money to send us both down to this football game, and I had to spend the first like three hours just rewriting like a court brief. Um, but still caught like four quarters of football. It was great. Um, that one was good. Um, you know, anytime they play Washington State, it's it's kind of been sneaky good. I'm I'm uh I'm uh I go back to, to the game. I'll kill time think. here as I'm thinking. Yeah, <laughs> the one I'm thinking about is remember I think it was 2015. They went down to Stanford, and was it Joe Walker who Joe, broke it was, up? It, it was Joe Joe Walker, Tyson Coleman, and Tyson Coleman. They they make that. That defense was not all that great, and they made uh, that improbable. That might be the nicest thing anyone said about the 2015 <laughs> Oregon defense. Well, in fairness, the 2016 defense was much worse. Worth, but yeah. the 20, they made that improbable goal line stand. And I remember, obviously, this scene after that when um, Joe Walker, who just by himself, like such a a figure who's sort of forgotten. But like, if you, I feel like. I feel like Joe Walker is a secret handshake of like Oregon fans. Like if you were to like remember mm-hmm. Joe Walker and someone does, you're like, oh, okay, you, you know, like you're a real Oregon fan. The hound dog? Joe the hound. Um, <laughs> I, I remember going into that. There's like four that, people who are going to hear that and, and laugh, but we'll, we'll carry on. I just remember what happened after that was we went to the interview room, which is not the locker room because college football the locker room is open. And um, just like hearing people on top you just banging lockers because stanford's visiting locker room had those old like almost high school version lockers that are like metal and you just heard people like pounding fists and gloves and 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 you're like what is going on on there and then later on you see the video and it's like tom osborne the tight ends coach is standing on top of one leading this fight song (laughs) and it it just felt very cathartic uh like that's one of the most cathartic i think post-game experiences i've ever seen um an Oregon good. team that, have. That, that was that Stanford was good that year too that that ended their their playoff bid if I remember correctly yeah Stanford was good one of the last times they've been legitimately good 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 Oregon was so you know they were up and down with Vernon's injury and I just remember that being like a really big uh kind of I just remember that being for some reason a memorable post game that takes remember- that from being a random game in my memory bank to one that stands out do you, do you remember when Vernon Vernon's first game back from injury in Seattle at Washington? And it was like, I think he had like one just of those like playground touchdowns to Darian Carrington. And this was after watching what four weeks of Jeff Lockie and Taylor Alley. And it was just like, <sighs> like, okay, they, they can score points again. <laughs> yes. You know, I, I don't know why, but I, I think cause USC was playing at, obviously Utah last weekend. I remembered when Oregon played at Utah, I believe this was 2017. I, it must've been Willie's year. And there was the, again, it's one of those moments that I've just totally forgotten for five years, but it came back and was like, what? That was so bonkers. Was that touchdown pass from Herbert to Carrington? 
yeah, with like I think seconds that was, no, left. No, that that was 2016. That was like one of the last games of uh, like that was like one of the oh, last decent games of of that era. Yeah, that was yeah. So okay, that's I just remember that that finish too as being like that. It's never going to come up in like a top five moments of you know covering Oregon during our tenure. But it's such a you go back and you're like there were a lot of a lot of weird stuff that happened. Uh, when we got, or like the Kalen Clay game in Utah, when yes. uh, when he dropped the ball at the one yard line, and and actually, who was that, Andrew, who ran it back on hundred yards? Was it that was, was it that was, was it the Hound Dog? Was it the Hound Dog? <laughs> <laughs> I also remember uh, after the, I think one of my favorite small moments, uh, and I wrote this too at the time, so it's not like talking out of school, but I remember after the twenty fourteen Pac twelve title game when the defense of Oregon, which again was sort of like up and down the whole year and you were like it was never a question of the offense was going to be good enough it was like can the defense hold anyone to account and uh oregon absolutely blanks arizona uh who they'd struggled against about six weeks earlier or seven weeks earlier and it was a i mean just an absolute masterpiece maybe the best defensive game i've ever seen oregon play uh while i was covering them and just the real satisfaction of don pelham who was yeah, an, an embattled coordinator already in his first year. And I remember walking out of the stadium with him that, to ask him a few more questions as he walked to the bus. And there was a, there's a stadium club inside Levi's Stadium in Santa Clara. And, you know, it's got just bottles of wine up, up, the, up the side. And, and he kind of poked his head in real quick. And we just want, we're wondering if it was maybe still open because you could tell he sort of just wanted to celebrate a little bit, sort of savor what had just <laughs> happened. And for me, it was a really nice moment because, um, you know, knowing Don a little bit, he, he'd waited 30 years to be a coordinator. Um, and so it was sort of at that time, uh, you know, a real, a real nice moment for him to come through with his defense that way in a, in a conference title game, obviously, you know, the, the defense t- took steps backward from there. Um, uh, but it was, I, I remember that too. It was like, we'll never remember the Arizona title game. It was such a one-sided affair, but to sort of see like months and months of hard work when you're around these guys, yeah. Um, and who just live in these film rooms in the darkness to see it come to fruition. Um, it's kind of, yeah, it's kind of, sometimes it can lead to some memorable moments. I remember seeing as we were walking to the Oregon locker room in the tunnel uh, of that game, seeing Rich Rod on the back of a golf cart cart, just looking like he had just like boxed Mike Tyson, <laughs> just, just, <laughs> just absolutely gutted. Um, Okay, uh, I know you have to get out of here relatively soon. So, give me who's going to win the NBA title this year, Andrew? Uh, I, I really don't like predictions. Um, uh, Hypothetically, and, and, who would win the NBA title this year if you liked here's, predictions? Here's a good tie-in. <laughs> Oregon played UCLA in 2014, uh-huh. and I picked UCLA to win in the pages of the Oregonian because Oregon was coming off the loss to Arizona. Mm-hmm. Oregon wins. I'm walking off the field for the post-game interviews, and who is it? Tom Osborne walks next to <laughs> me and says, and you picked UCLA. Yeah, I miss um, Tom. So, Tom Osborne. That guy was so, funny. So, yeah, predictions often have a way of biting you in the ass. Um, I, I think that I could see – I think Clippers-Bucks for finals. Um, everything depends on health for both teams, obviously. I think the Bucks would have been in the finals last year. They'd been healthy. Right. If Chris Middleton had been healthy. So, um, yeah, so I think so, so you're so you're actually pretty pretty high on this Clippers team then, and I I think that you know it's it's such a hard team to judge just because you haven't 
but this is year four of the Kawhi PG experiment and how much have we actually seen those two play together. But then again, like yeah. I, I'm just still struck by like thinking of like Toronto's Kawhi or like San Antonio Kawhi and just being like, how does anybody stop that dude? Like he's a freak. Like I, I think people kind of sleep on how good Kawhi used to be or maybe still is. Yeah. And I mean like Blazers fans will remember Norm Powell and Robert Covington. Like those guys will, almost guaranteed be coming off the bench the majority of their games this year. So that's when you have players of that caliber who can come off the bench and sort of fill very narrow roles when they have broad talent is kind of a luxury they have. So I think their main issue is going to be if they can get um, players to really buy in throughout the year to having smaller roles because they have more credible rotation players and they do uh, opportunities for rotation minutes. And it's everything's great in the preseason, right? Everyone believes in sacrifice and everyone, even quiet today said, that's great. I hope we keep that energy by game 20 and game 40. So just the ebb and flow of our players feeling like they're getting what they need to stay locked in is going to be that and health, I think will be the big things because they have the length, they have the shooting, they have the star power, maybe not the center play, you know, like they don't really have only have one seven footer want to play small i'll see how that goes but they have all the elements it would look like but it's i think it's a lot of the intangible stuff that is gonna make or break uh feel free to filibuster through this one if it won't help you out uh professionally but i doubt that anyone on the clippers is listening to this but are they still uh as tough at like just with the media as they were when when Kawhi and paul came over no, I feel like, you know, this, this preseason, especially, I mean, even last year too, like there's a, re- I feel like there's a real more noticeable uh, comfort just in terms of the way Paul and Kawhi are. They're, they're very comfortable within the organization. Like, you know, they've been here now for a number of years. They see all the same faces. It's the whole organization is tailored around players and making sure that they feel like they're taken care of. Um, and so I, I really do like, it comes through, like I asked Paul a question, um, the, after one of the preseason games about if he watched, like, do you watch other teams that have had kind of two, two superstar wings and sort of how they've played as, as a guide to maybe how you guys could do things. And he started to answer, Oh yeah. Like the, the LeBron Dwayne Wade heat. And then he went in a completely unprompted tangent and said like, Kawhi's number one on this team. Like I'm number two and I'm fine with that. <laughs> and so I think like there's a real sort of feeling of security about who they are and um, what they mean to this franchise that I think comes through in interviews. Um, so, well, you know, I, I've, I think we all walked away from that post game and Kawhi talked too. And we all, some of this immediate joke, man, I think that was maybe the best post game we've had in the last, you know, four years. Cause they were, they were noticeably loose. Um, that, that also comes through on like podcasts. Like I used to listen to this one, I think it was called like the official visit. And there was a, a very <laughs> dominant number one, on there um and it was nice there was like this like sidekick who used to run track or something like that um how's training going by the way uh for next year's 400 oh uh i mean i'm doing a mailbag this week and uh, oliver asked asked me uh that as a question in there i was just like well um uh actually i'm training for i'm training for a half marathon and i i just my goal is not die and will that's so Four hundred sounds lovely right now. I, I uh, th- this will be a nice nugget to end at the end of the podcast. But um, the hockey team I play with, the uh, the little cuties group, um, 
early in the summer, they uh, the the Instagram account, which oddly has like ten thousand followers, got a DM from a talent scout in LA, and they were looking to fill spots on a new reality show called Million Dollar Island, and they were like, we're sending like teams of people. And they were like, we love you guys' Instagram account. Like, you guys look like you have fun all the time, blah, blah, blah. Like, we would love to, like, have, like, four or five of you guys interview as, like, a team to, like, go on this reality show. So we're like, great. Like, like this will be, like, a 30-minute thing, and then we'll never hear back about it. So we do, like, like the initial, like, 30-minute meet and greet. And they're like, okay, like, we love you guys. You're on to the next round. Like, come meet with, like, our next, like, producers. So we're like, okay. So we talk with them again. And then they're like, okay, next week... Um, like you guys are basically going to have like a like an hour long sit down with like the head like the head casting person right and so now like we're all going like oh my god like we might actually have to like do this stupid thing um and like and like for and for the interview they were like yeah you know like just like be having fun like chat chat with the people like you're your best friend and it was like at a 10 a.m interview so we showed up at our buddy kevin's place at nine and had a couple pops and uh like we nailed the thing and they basically like told us we nailed the thing and they're like all right well, like uh we think you guys are gonna have good news like we'll be in touch really soon uh and so like here we are like all thinking like oh my god like we're gonna have to be like on a night like on a desert it was gonna be like survivor basically right million dollar sabi island was that <laughs> yeah yeah it was called million dollar island and it was gonna be like survivor and now like all of a sudden we're all thinking like oh my god we got to be on this thing and here i am being like shit like i got to be shirtless on tv like i gotta get in shape and so there was like a two week period where I was like, I went to the gym a couple of times. I was starting to eat better. It was like here, I was thinking of getting like I five I five corridor tattooed across my back, you know, just for advertising. Um, and then a couple more weeks go by and we just we don't hear anything. Um, and then finally, like we we messaged like the 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 scout guy and he was just basically like costs got too high thanks to like inflation. Like so we've had to like cancel basically they like because it was going to be on NBC. And they uh, they are basically like it's on the shelf right now because the expenses were too high. So that's that's basically like I was almost in shape, Andrew. And I think that my 400 time at next year's pre-classic media event would have gotten better. Um, but I'm going through something right now. I was almost a star and I think I've probably packed on a couple pounds in that depression of, of not ending up on network television. Wow, that's really. I wish this would have happened. I mean, I they still might. I, I feel like we it, shouldn't rule this out. I feel like but. that. I feel like that could have made or break. That could have been like what makes the corridor. It's. it's I could have done some sappy story. I was cast off from the athletic. <laughs> Look at Aaron Rodgers' brother. His post, you know, bachelor. I mean, he. You can take. You can really take advantage of these situations and boost your business profile. So that could have been you. You know, it's it's actually pretty funny. Uh, like the the Q, what is it? it's like the Q rating of Aaron Rodgers' brother versus him. Like over like the last like four years is probably like slowly inversed, and maybe people are realizing that maybe it wasn't the brother who was crazy. <laughs> yeah. All right, so that's Andrew Greif from the L.A. Times. Everyone, you can find him on Twitter or on the front page of the freaking L.A. Times because he is a badass. Uh, if you're a Clippers or NBA fan, check out his work. Thanks for coming on, Andrew. Of course, buddy. I want to do it again soon. Maybe like maybe like Civil War stories. You know, well, not 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 like. You, you, you by the way, say, not you. You, yeah. you can't say that. Um, not the conflict of the we, 1860s stories. I'm talking about a football we can't game. Can't use this audio. <laughs> <sighs> All right. See you guys next time. <laughs>